Well, good morning and welcome to you all. My name is Darren, and I have the privilege of serving uh, as pastor here. I'm going to read to you from Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you have a Bible or an app of some sort, and invite you to open it to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. We'll also have it on the screen, but I will be referring back to it throughout the sermon. And would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? This is God speaking. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we come to you now and we place ourselves under these words. Lord, we, we assume the posture of submission to you, of interest in your wisdom. Lord, we come to, to this time and Lord, we recognize uh, that we do not have wisdom in ourselves that we do not have the answers, but we look to you as the one who does. Lord, I recognize that even as I, I pray these things, Lord, I recognize that we do come from all kinds of different places. Some of us are here and we're filled with hope and expectation. Others of us are here uh, and we are overcome with anxiety and worry and exhaustion. Lord, some of us come here and, Lord, we approach uh, this passage with faith. Others of us approach it with skepticism. So I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here expectantly or exhausted, whether we are here believing in you or having deep doubts about you, I pray that you would give us grace to see, open our eyes and show us how you have addressed our deepest need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. So great to be with you, uh, those here and online. Uh, asked put out on Facebook and in a couple other places, uh, a bunch of you to pray for me as I'm going to be preaching and uh, addressing this U.S. election. I have an interesting uh, vantage point. My, one of my mentors uh, has really mentored me in the area of prayer. Uh, you know, I called him this week to ask for prayer, and he was, the very first thing he related to me was how nice of a Thanksgiving he had, because he lives in Canada. And so it's interesting, of course, to discuss the U.S. election with a uh, brother in Canada, though he did have some insight into it uh, as well. 
But yeah, we're, this is, uh, God calls us to live in this world in a certain way, and it's really the question that I'm uh, raising today. I just want to put your mind at ease. I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for or if you should vote. I'm not going to tell you any of that. Um, but what I am going to do is draw out from this passage the proper relationship between a Christian and power, right? So this question of the election, just to, to state the obvious, is that the election is predominantly about the issue of power, right? How is power going to be exercised uh, in our nation at all levels of government? And what is the, and the question I'm asking is, what is the re- Christian's relationship with power? It goes without saying that in the present time that this has been quite a year because for, for many of you, and certainly for myself, this has been the most disruptive year of my life, right? If, if you can remember all the way back towards the beginning of the year, right, we began the year really being touched and shocked by these overwhelming protests uh, in Hong Kong, right? And it, and it really looked at the beginning of the year uh, that the people of Hong Kong were not going to stand uh, for Chinese, for Beijing's influence over their land. Um, fast forward a few months, uh, and things have certainly changed in that regard. Obviously, uh, for many of us, this is our very first worldwide pandemic uh, that's had an intrusive, uh, to say the least, influence on our lives, and we've been subject to government orders uh, that have had far-reaching impact on the very basic way that we conduct our lives, right? We've seen the church affected. Uh, some t- uh, saw stories of Christians being arrested uh, in parts of the country for uh, singing in places they weren't supposed to or, uh, you know, these kinds of things going on out there. Uh, one church in particular uh, has engaged in an act of civil disobedience uh, in objection to their government's health orders, Um, There's a substantial and extensive disagreement around that. Uh, And then, of course, uh, probably one of the most difficult things uh, for for us all, but especially uh, for those of you who are are a person of color, is the death of George Floyd and uh, the nationwide dialogue that has taken place uh, after his tragic and unjust death. All of these things by themselves would be enough to make this a particularly difficult topic, but you add into that the isolation of a multi-month quarantine, uh, and you have a recipe for an absolutely uh, difficult time thinking through the Christian's relationship to power, right? So, what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, my job, I just want to be clear what my job is and isn't, right? My job is I am not here as a politician, and in fact, I am going to shock you uh, by, uh, by telling you my voting plans. I'm going to just get that out of the way up front. Does anyone care to know? <laughs> no one cares to know. Thank, thank you, young lady, <laughs> my one fan. Okay, uh, I'm going to shock you by getting out of the way my own voting plans, and then I'll get into the sermon, okay? So... Um, But I'm saying this because I want to make it very clear, uh, my agenda in coming to you. Uh, My voting plans 
uh, as a citizen of this country, as a pastor of Ironworks Church, is that I have chosen not to vote. Um, even while I'm going to be encouraging you to vote, I have chosen as a member of God's church in the position of pastor to distance myself from the governing decisions that are made out of respect for God's concern that there be two separate kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Now, I do encourage you to vote. I'm not, I don't want you to read this at all in this way, but I want you to be clear that I am here with no partisan interest whatsoever. Right? I am here as your pastor. I am here caring for your souls. That is my responsibility, right? As citizens, right? We all have responsibility to respond to the opportunity to vote, uh, and you will do so if you're a Christian, as a Christian, right? But I have chosen, at least for the time being, and I, I could be persuaded to change, but I have chosen to follow in um, a tradition of some ministers where they have said, you know what, we, we, we were forfeiting this right out of respect for the office that God calls us to. So I want to just be upfront with you about that, right? If you're, if you're wondering how I'll vote, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be. At least for the time being, that's, that's where my, my soul is at. So, I have no interest um, in being partisan whatsoever, uh, though I don't think you can ever entirely remove your own views. I, I've done as good of a job as I know how to do that in this passage. My interest, as Rob has said earlier, is that I exist for your spiritual joy. That, that is what my, my entire agenda right now is to see you walk with God, and enjoy Him forever, right? That is what I am after, and what I have noticed over these past months uh, and, and prior is that there is a significant impediment to your spiritual joy, and that is found in your relationship to political power, right? There is a significant impediment to your spiritual joy that surfaces in your relationship to political power. So let me try to explain that to you, draw that out, and set it before you for your own consideration. Look with me, if you would, in verse 8. Actually, let's, I'm sorry, let's begin in verse 6. This is what Paul says in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What Paul's concern here in this passage, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus? Any of the kids know? How do you receive Christ? Yes, young man. By faith and repentance. Very good job. What a, this, is a, this man comes from a good family. Well done. Right? Yes, by faith. You received Christ by faith. As you have received him by faith, so walk in him. Meaning, Paul's injunction for you, and, and, and the very simple point that, that I'm making here this morning, is that your joy, your spiritual joy, is predominantly dependent on whether your going through life is done in faith or in something else, right? That's the most basic. There's not a lot of disagreement yet, I'm sure, right? If you're a Christian, 
You understand that your joy is directly tied to whether you are living in faith in Christ, trusting Him not just intellectually for your salvation, but trusting Him for everything, trusting Him for the decisions you make, right? Looking to Him for wisdom, looking to Him for provision, right? If, if you're not doing that, if you're, if you're going through life in unbelief saying, I don't believe you can provide for me, I don't believe that you have wisdom, I believe I need these other things, right? Just cut to the cliff notes, you're not going to have spiritual joy. It's very, it's very simple, right? So, that being the case, what is, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, what is able, what is able to injure that process, especially right now in this time? Right? There, there are forces that have the ability to injure that process. What are they? And that, of course, takes us to verse 8. I want you to see this. If you see nothing else in this passage, this is the most important thing that I want to place before you, uh, reading verbatim from verse 8. In light of his injunction to walk in faith, to be rooted and built up, he says this as a significant concern. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, friends, when we ask this question, what is the Christian's relationship with power? Right? Your mind might go immediately to, say, the power of the office of governor, right? who's exercised a profound amount of power on our lives, or the office of president, or the office of school board, for example. Right? Your mind might go to political offices, but you see, Paul is not concerned about those offices primarily, right? What is he concerned about? And to see this, you have to Sort of, um, I'm going to give you some context around this word used in verse 8 where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. What does it mean to be captive? Right? It means that you're under control. That you, you know, a captive is someone who doesn't have freedom. A captive is someone who, who must follow the commands of another. A funder, so, uh, someone who's a captive is someone who's in bondage, Right? And he says, see to it that you are not in bondage to philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, and then he uses this language, according to the elemental spirits of this world. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world is this, the elemental spirits of this world? It's the Greek word stokion. And I, I follow the majority of, of scholarship that looks at this word in Paul and this word, whenever you hear this word stokion in Paul in particular, this word is code for demonic powers, right? So, so you, you, you want to understand Paul's concern about your relationship to power. He's not thinking Nero, right, or Caesar. He's thinking your relationship to unseen forces of evil in this world whose goal and aim in your life is distraction from Jesus Christ, right? 
What's, what's the biggest risk factor to your joy in Christ? Answer, it's being distracted from him by way of evil forces that use what? Philosophy and human tradition, right? Philosophy and human tradition. And friends, it is my belief as your pastor, right, during this time, the primary place that this is happening is in the area of politics, right? If you want to ask this question, where is this happening? Where am I held captive to philosophy? Where, where are the forces of evil seeking to control me? From what I can tell, the place that rises to the surface more than any other is in the area of political identity, right? Political identity. What, what's going on there? What do I mean by that? Well, um, as we have been moving through history, what we're finding, uh, just as a, as a broad observation about uh, political discourse in America, is that it's actually harder to have it, right? It's harder to have discourse, right? You know, maybe you've experienced that, maybe not. Um, Certainly, this, this most recent debate, I think most folks are, agree that, you know, discourse is becoming less common and more difficult, right? Why is that the case? Well, one reason I would suggest to you that's the case is because these systems are showing that they are interested in a kind of control whereby you are not allowed to disagree. And I'm speaking of all systems, by the way, right now. Right? Some more than others, for sure. But all of these schools of thought, you're finding that uh, if you're rising to a place of prominence, that it's very difficult to disagree with those systems. Why is that? Because they are exercising this kind of control. What does that mean for the Christian? Well, church history is a great tutor to us in this. I was, I was you know, I'm just here thanking the Lord this morning that I am not Pope Gregory. Is anyone disappointed that I'm not Pope Gregory? Thank you, Josh. Yes, I'm thankful that I'm not Pope Gregory. You see, Pope Gregory uh, decided, of course, that he said uh, of Henry IV, he said, I now declare in the name of omnipotent God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Henry, Son... Son of Emperor Henry is deprived of his kingdom of Germany and Italy, right? So back then, if you know your church history, you know that the church has struggled with what is the relationship between the church and the civil authorities, right? Does the Pope have the ability to dethrone the civil authority, right? I'm thankful that I am not tasked with that job at the moment, right? What is the job, though, of the church? And that, by the way, for those of you who are members of a church, whether Ironworks or another church, what is your job when, as pertains to civil government? Well, I want to try to articulate this for you under three headings that I have embraced and adopted, and I want to set for you as well. What is the job of a Christian in relationship to governing authorities? And I'm going to do that under the heading of prophet, priest, and servant. Okay? Prophet, priest, and servant. Number one, the church's job uh, in relationship to civil 
government is to act in the office of prophet, right? Predominantly and primarily when it relates to issues of basic justice, okay? The church has always done this. And this, by the way, is why it is so important for the church to be politically separate from any movement, right? I was reading uh, earlier about the start of the moral majority, if anyone remembers that movement, right? 1980s, the moral majority. Does anyone remember? You remember. Yes. Back then, right, it's when this church kind of rose to prominence for political powers, right? And uh, it's sort of evolved in various pieces along the way. And some of you, perhaps many of you are here, um, and you have felt very disillusioned with the church's role in politics through uh, movements such as the moral majority, right? And what I've noticed is that uh, Christians, some of Christians are looking at that and they're saying, I'm really embarrassed that the church was caught up in this political movement. And so what do they do? Well, they go join a different political movement, right? And then they're caught up in that one. And friends, my simple plea for you this morning is that the church must be distinct, right? It must be distinct. We do not subsume ourselves under a particular political identity because we are called to be prophets to an evil world, right? We are called particularly, by the way, the church's role is to support government in its God-given duty in Romans 13, 4, to punish those who do evil, right? You know, Bill Clinton had a, a famous quote when speaking of elections, where he said, it's the economy, stupid. Remember that, right? For the Christian, it's, it's, it's justice is, is it God's heartbeat for government. You can, disagree, you can talk about all kinds of policies that you would think are good and helpful, and I encourage you to have those discussions, have those debates, have those free-flowing ideas, but the church has a vested interest in saying, we speak as prophets against injustice that takes place in our world. And injustice is specifically charged to the civil government to punish, right? That's Romans 13, 4, right? Uh, my, my favorite theological guide on this subject, by the way, if you want to read a, a theologian on all these issues that is, I think, second to none in this area, that is the North African theologian, Augustine of Hippo, who wrote, of course, his, his groundbreaking work, The City of God. And this is what he said. He said, what are kingdoms without justice? They're just gangs of bandits, right? So the first thing is, is that the church is, serves to speak prophetically. And if the church's voice is muted because it has aligned itself with particular parties whereby it loses the ability to speak freely and criticize freely, it ceases to be that. And by the way, just a good kind of inventory question for you, right? I, if you are, you know, if you align with a political party and you're really critical of other parties, that, you know, that's fine. But if you can't criticize the party, you know, one of those parties, and if you don't criticize one of those parties... It causes me to ask the question, are you a captive? 
Are you under a controlling influence? Because the church is called to be distinct and separate. Right? That's the first thing, that we are called to act prophetically. The second thing is, is that we are called to act as priests. Right? We are called to act as priests. What does that mean? Well, very simply put, the church is charged in 1 Timothy 2 for praying for all who occupy high positions. Right? And I'll tell you that since the founding of Ironworks, we have prayed for our leaders in office at all levels of government in every single case. Right? And you, there will not be someone who occupies offense that will not receive our prayers uh, periodically here on Sundays and at other times. And this is a great inventory question, right? If you're not able to pray for any of the leaders that we have, right? If you find yourself and you're saying, look, I can't pray for these leaders at all, chances are high that you are under captivity, right? It is the unquestionable duty of the Christian to pray for their leaders, Right? Regardless of party, regardless of other circumstances, that is our job, is to seek to be the priests of our land. The last thing is that we are called to be servants. Right? So, for example, uh, and this, at Ironworks at least, this plays itself out most powerfully in the local context. So you may not be aware of this, but um, Chrissy and I do sometimes run into the mayor on our walks. Right? And we are on a first-name basis with the mayor, current mayor, did uh, connect with the former mayor as well. And our message to the mayor is always very simple. It's, hi, I'm with Ironworks Church. How can we serve? What are the needs of this community? How can Ironworks be a servant? Where is it that we can be helpful to what's going on here? How can we engage with those who are not being served by others? Right, Our identity in Phoenixville is of that as a servant. That is what we are seeking to do. And friends, that is what the church, uh, most of all, is called here, right? We're called to be prophets, we're called to be priests, and we're called to be servants. And the church has a unique way of doing that, by the way. How is the church to do that? What's the unique way that the church is called to do that? And I want to draw your attention and answer to that, to verse 13. Right? Because this is where the church's way of doing this is so profoundly otherworldly. Look with me, if you would, in verse 13. Paul is writing, and he says, "...in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him," that's Christ, "...having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame, by triumphing in, over them in him. Do you see what Paul is saying about the way that Christian influence is exercised? Right? It's through the cross. It's through forgiveness. It's in Christ you see, that's one of the biggest mistakes, I think, of, of this movement of the moral majority that it made is that it didn't recognize that the true source of Christian power is not found in, in office. It's found in Christ. It's found in the message of forgiveness. It's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ as he triumphs over the forces of evil in the cross. And it says he disarmed them. 
He disarmed them through his own humiliation. The powers of this world, the stoking on the forces of this evil, could not stand as he absorbs the sins of Darren Pesnell. Right, as he takes upon my failures and my weaknesses and my sin and my shame and my sorrow, as he absorbs it into his innermost person. And, he, and the result is that I'm able, with all of my flaws and all of my failures and all of my sin and all of my sorrow and all of my shame, to stand before him and to stand before you, though having failed countless numbers of time, and for him to look and to say, I accept you. I love you. I forgive you. That act overcomes the forces of evil, right? And the church's job is to proclaim that, to live that, to enjoy that. And it is through the person of Christ that 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 the power of Christ goes forth. And friends, that is why if you are distracted from Christ because you're held captive to any system, right? The, the evil does not care which system it is, just to be clear. It does not care. You can be distracted because on the right, you can be distracted on the left, you can be distracted by any of these things. It, does, it, is, it is an you know, indiscriminate offender, right? It's an equal opportunity captivator. But in contrast to that, the Apostle Paul says, it's the love of Christ controls us. It captivates us. And it means that we have a high calling to preach this good news, to speak prophetically against injustice, to pray for our leaders, for God's mercy to be upon our land. And then to live and speak and act as servants of this city, serving all who will receive what we have to offer. So that is the, the high calling. And I will say this, um, if you choose to vote, and I do encourage that, by the way, I don't want you to hear any discouragement about that. I just want to tell you, as your pastor, I trust you. I believe that God's work is in you, and I believe that you are going to take all of the information and all of the complexity and all of the brokenness and all of these things, and you are going to make a thoughtful decision. And I think this, this country is blessed to have your voices in that. And I know that your voices are going to work their ways out differently from each other in some cases, right? But as you escape the captivating forces... And as you follow the scriptures, they follow your conscience, and you seek to be about these things, you seek to be about speaking prophetically, praying for those in, in authority, and serving our city, I believe that God will bring blessing to our land. And I will believe he will bring blessing to your lives. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do praise you, Holy Spirit, we do adore you, and I pray for great healing in our land, Lord, particularly for areas of the most grievous injustice. God, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration. I pray that you would hear the prayers of your people. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy upon our nation, mercy upon our world. I pray, O oh God, that you would give us good leaders. Uh, who would be men and women of integrity. 
I pray that you would bring about um, substantial change uh, in our inability to dialogue respectfully. I pray that your church would occupy a position of leadership in this regard. I would pray that Ironworks would be leaders in Phoenixville, showing that we can uh, speak and live and serve in this way, in ways that the world simply cannot at this time. And Lord, I pray that most of all that you would come quickly, uh, that you would come and rescue our world from the dominion of sin, from the powers of darkness, uh, from the forces of evil and wickedness that continue to run rampant around us. Lord, I pray that you bring justice to the oppressed. I pray that you bring healing and peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you please stand with us as we approach this table?